I love being able to encourage parents to live intentional lives, knowing that this is exactly where God wants them and He's equipping them for these very purposes and using these kids and using their lives, their disabilities, their challenges for His good and for His glory. Welcome to this week's First Person Program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our guest is a remarkable young woman whose life started with a wrong turn, but has developed into a great story of God's grace and healing. You'll meet Christine Boyle on First Person. I'm glad you've joined us for this broadcast. Each time we meet, you hear a conversation with someone who has a story to tell of God at work in their life. You can learn more about this program and today's guest at firstpersoninterview.com and at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Please leave your comments there on our Facebook page. And I invite you to download our free smartphone app, First Person Interview, from your app store, making it easy to listen whenever you want. Well, I'm glad you've joined us for this interview now. Christine Boyle was on her way to college when she found herself to be pregnant as an unwed teen. But her story just starts there, as you'll learn today. As we spoke on the phone, she told me her story, which didn't have a very happy beginning. It all started about 14 years ago. I was 18 years old. I was a week away from leaving for college, and I was actually going to be attending a Christian college in Kentucky, and I found out I was pregnant. And I was the, you know, kind of your typical teenager, um, wasn't a follower of Christ, but grew up in the church, going to youth group, things like that. Um, and I always felt God pursuing me um, when I would be at church camps and youth groups and things like that. Uh, but I always kind of stiff-armed God and, you know, wasn't ready to really surrender my life to Christ. And so I told God, I'm going to go away to this Christian college, and there I'll give my life to you when I'm around 600 Christian kids, and it's easy. Well, little did I know, like I said, I ended up, um, found out I was pregnant a week before leaving for school, and that threw me into just complete confusion, asking those questions, Lord, you know, how could you let this happen? I, you know, I'm supposed to leave for college. I'm supposed to finally become a Christian and give my life to you. And so even though I'd grown up um, in the church and knew abortions um, weren't right, I found myself making an appointment for an abortion. Mm. And again, I was 18 at that time, so I didn't have to tell anybody that I was pregnant, but I did share that uh, with my mom. And I went to the abortion clinic, and it was just a really, uh, just a very time of distress and and just being completely distraught over just even going to the abortion clinic. I remember just crying on the way there. I remember when I made the appointment, um, the gal I talked to told me, you know, there might be people there protesting. And and I was so thankful that day when I pulled up and there wasn't anybody protesting because I already felt guilty enough for even walking into that clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went through the steps that they require from, you know, sitting with a a psychologist. And I have no idea how she deemed me as mentally stable enough to proceed because I was hysterical. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Um, and watching the the video that they make you watch to see what an abortion is. And then the last step was the ultrasound. And I remember the night before the abortion, I prayed probably one of the most desperate prayers I ever prayed to God, which was, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I need you to keep me from doing this. There was a lot of pressure from um, my mom to go ahead and do this. I think she was as confused as I was and wanted to see me get my life right. And um, so I was just begging God to somehow in some way intervene. And so when I got to the point of having the ultrasound, uh, the technician looked at me and said, 
you are too far along to have this abortion today. Oh. You're six months pregnant. Oh. And I didn't, obviously, like I said, I didn't tell anyone other than my mom, so I didn't look six months pregnant. I didn't feel six months pregnant. And I just uh, remember just crying and the tears flowing and just laying on that table and saying, oh, Lord, you didn't want me to do this. And that might seem so obvious to, you know, many of us who are, are Christians that, of course, God didn't want me to do that, but really in the midst of chaos and confusion and, and hopelessness, um, I, you know, I, I really didn't know what to do, and going away to college seemed like my only hope. So um, literally, it was in that abortion clinic that I finally gave my life to Christ. It wasn't anything pretty or fancy. It wasn't an altar call, but it was just, Lord, I've screwed up, and my life is yours, and um, my life has been dramatically changed ever since. Um, but it must have been hard to go home and to face everyone knowing you were still going to have that baby. Exactly, exactly, very much so. Um, I did find out I was having a little girl that day, but um, probably one of the biggest challenges was I was supposed to leave and go away to college with my cousin, who, you know, we're four months apart, grew up together, and we were going to be doing this journey together in Kentucky. And so really to look at her and say, I'm not leaving with you in a week. Yes, it was very hard. And, um, and you know, it's hard to go back to church and have to tell people, um, you know, what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were very supportive. Um, probably one of the biggest saving graces in my life and one of the most tangible ways God demonstrated His love for me was three days after I was in that abortion clinic, found out I was pregnant, one of my high school friends told me, his girlfriend's mom was starting a support group for unwed teen moms. And um, if you're familiar with the ministry Young Life, it Mm -hmm. was Young Life's ministry to unwed teen moms called, um, at the time it was called Mentor Moms, to this day it's called Young Life. And um, she was starting it in the Cleveland area. I met with her at a restaurant, and I remember her walking in, sitting down with me and telling me her story of being an unwed teen mom herself, At that point, she was married for 20-some years, had eight kids. Her husband had adopted her son that she had had um, out of wedlock. And and it was just the most tangible example of hope, um, because even at that point, a lot of my family was telling me to consider adoption. And I remember her looking at me and just saying, maybe God wants you to have this baby. And it was like the most freeing, beautiful thing someone could tell me, because you almost felt guilty thinking, could God really, at this point, want me? Because everything seems so sinful and shameful and wrong. Well, uh, Courtney, when when the day came that that baby was born, uh, there were complications. There were. There were. Yeah, I had no idea um, leading up to that, you know, the, the birth of my daughter, Courtney, that there would be any complications. And from the moment she came out, uh, there were multiple complications. Um, she spent about a month and a half in the hospital up here in Cleveland, Ohio, and thankfully we have awesome medical care here. Uh, but during that first initial admission in the hospital, I mean, we I found out everything from she had profound hearing loss and would need hearing aids, that she didn't have any natural blink reflex and would need eye drops every 25 minutes in her eyes. Um, She had a feeding tube placed. So on top of being, you know, unwed, 18, life being kind of turned upside down in the blink of an eye, then all of a sudden, um, you know, I not only become a mom, but the mom to a special needs child. You're the unwed mother of a special needs (laughs) child. That's that's a lot (laughs) to carry. It was. It was. So how did was. how did God sustain you? You were you were committed to Christ at this point after after uh, that experience at the abortion clinic. So how did God sustain you and provide for you during that season? Well, 
I think um, spiritually, I think he did it by one of the first truths I remember learning as a brand new Christian was his sovereignty. And that just brought me so much peace, um, just realizing, okay, God made her, God formed her, God has a plan for her. And that experience in that abortion clinic, again, was such a tangible, you know, knowing God has a plan for this little girl. He saved her life that day and intervened um, on her behalf. And so I think spiritually, that is where I found uh, my peace. And and during that time when I was pregnant, I should say too, I, I did find a healthy, amazing church to be a part of that that welcomed me and welcomed my chaos and dysfunction. And, Boy, and that, that was me. important, wasn't it? That was huge, absolutely huge. And um, I prayed for Christian friends because I knew God was calling me to to leave the life that, you know, I was planning on leaving when I went away to college, but um, to just find a new group of friends that loved the Lord, and God blessed me with that. And so that was absolutely huge to be surrounded by people who who loved God. So that is one of the ways I'd say He spiritually um, sustained me. And and to be honest with you, financially, all of those things, it was very challenging, because in the blink of an eye, I realized, wow, I can't work because I have a special needs child. So it was everything from, you know, yeah, living on you know, food stamps, welfare, things like that. But um, but somehow, you know, God um, provided and our needs were met. Well, another thing he provided was a husband through that church. He did, he did, he did which is absolutely crazy. Um, but during that time where I found that amazing church and found great Christian friends, um, my husband, uh, obviously it wasn't my husband at the time, but Dan, he was um, in that group of Christian friends. We met when Courtney was about three months old, and it was about when she was 13 months old that uh, mutual friends of ours told me he wanted to ask me on a date. And most girls get excited when they're going to be asked on a date. I cried. I couldn't believe it. I said, why does he want to date me? I just couldn't understand it because he had watched my life with her for 10 months. And, you know, this was a kid who, again, not just special needs like we think of, you know, having a cognitive disability, but I'm talking hospitalized, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple times a month. Um, Again, you know, 18 years old, living on welfare. There really wasn't much appealing, you know, that I thought. But for some reason, he he wanted to date me, and I, I remember, you know, my prayer to God, you know, prior to even him asking me on a date was, you know, just, Lord, I want someone who's 25, who's mature, who has a college education, <laughs> and, and it was almost like I didn't even care if they loved me. It was just, Lord, if they just love Courtney and care about Courtney, and, and God did so much more than that. I mean, he is um, an amazing man and loves her and has become her father over the years. We've been married 12 years now, um, and I just I, I just think it speaks volumes of the work God has done in his heart that he would enter into this where, you know, most special needs parents would say, you know, hey, I didn't ask for this, and this is just what God gave me, and I'm doing the best, and um, he he wanted this for some reason, and it's been beautiful to see that if people don't know that he isn't, you know, Courtney's biological father, they would have absolutely no idea, because he's so committed and so faithful, um, and, and that's something I really couldn't even envision, that there would be a man who could love her as much as I loved her, and uh, he sure has, so yeah, so it's been awesome. <laughs> We'll learn more about caring for special needs children coming up as we continue talking with Christine Boyle today on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose, whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home. 
We serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. My first person guest today is Christine Boyle. I learned about Christine through a friend on Facebook who shared her testimony there. And uh, Christine, I'm delighted to talk with you today. You have a ministry called Glory Revealed, and I want you to explain where that title comes from. Wow. That title comes from John 9-3, when Jesus and his disciples encounter a man born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus, um, I love what he says. I love his answer. It gives me so much hope where he says, neither sinned, but this happened so that the glory of God can be revealed in his life. And, and Jesus proceeds to heal this man. And I really felt like this was such a perfect scripture as the mom to two special needs kids. And my heart is to minister to the special needs community, um, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, the medical community. And I think it all comes back to these children or these people with disabilities, they have purpose. And this man who was born blind, we know he was older. Um, the parents, you know, later on in, in John chapter 9, they go on to say he's of age, ask him who healed him when the Pharisees want to know how he was healed. And I love that truth that this man endured so much hardship, so much suffering, and I'm sure his parents grieved with him through those years. Uh, But Jesus allowed that in his life for many, many years for one moment of being healed, for God's power and works to be displayed in his life. Mm -hmm. So as a mom of two special needs kids, this this verse brings me so much hope that even if it's a lifetime of suffering, of disability, of challenges, that there's so much purpose to be found, to be seen in the lives of these children. All right. Now, you mentioned two special needs kids. We'll get get to the the second child here in just a moment. But (laughs) but, uh, you introduced us to Courtney a little while ago. Tell us about Courtney today. Oh, Courtney is amazing. She is 14. Um, she's nonverbal, nonmobile, severely developmentally disabled, uh, has a whole host of, of medical challenges. Um, probably one of the most complex kids that's cared for at our children's hospital up here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, but I think the thing that amazes me the most about Courtney is the power and the purposes of God that I do see in her life. Um, she is such a testimony of God's joy and His strength. I mean, honestly, my husband and I say she wakes up with smiles and she goes to bed with smiles. Mm. She is absolutely full of joy. She radiates just the love of Christ, and she's one of those kids that it always amazes us how she cannot say a word but yet people are drawn to her, want to know who she is. Um, she loves worshiping Jesus. She absolutely loves, um, you know, dancing. And we have little dance parties at our house where we blast <laughs> worship music, and she waves her sparkly pink pom-pom. She takes her light-up tambourine into church. Um, she was baptized a year and a half ago um, at our church in front of our whole congregation, and that just was an amazing experience for her to be able to, in her own way, declare to the watching world that she loves the Lord. Um, it was also such an edifying moment for the church to see how does a cognitively impaired child still know Jesus, and how how do we know the Spirit's alive in her? Um, and her life just radiates that. I've seen yeah. her um, just have this amazing ministry, again, without using any words, with being so limited. Um, I've seen God just supernaturally do so many things in her life that the medical world has been astounded. And I'm not talking, you know, sometimes we think of healing as this disease is cured or that disease is cured. Well, many of her diseases haven't been cured, but I've still seen 
surgeons weep over times where they've seen God show not show up and they just can't explain it other than a miracle just happened before their eyes. And, um, and it's such a privilege for me to see my daughter's life being used for so much good. Um, and with her life has come so many relationships and um, so many lives that are changed. I mean, I know I would not have a heart for the disabled if it wasn't for the fact that I had, you know, have a disabled child. Well, give, so give I, Courtney a hug for us today. We, <laughs> well, we've met her through amazing. the radio here today. Now, I want yeah. to save time to talk about child number two, because a couple sure. of years ago, you and Dan reached out to yet another special needs child. We did. We did. In 2005, I went on my first mission trip to El Salvador to a children's home that was started by a young lady from Cleveland, Ohio, from my church. And I went there, and I loved it. Went back the next year, loved it again. And at that time, there was a little boy there named Kevin who had severe special needs, um, severely malnourished. He was three years old, weighed about 14 pounds, um, always vomiting and, and just agitated and uncomfortable. And um, I remember going there and, and having a heart for him because of our experiences with Courtney, but I kind of went home and, you know, told my husband about him and nothing really transpired that, that next year. But then I went back again the following year and Kevin was still at the home. And I'm, I just love how God works because I was reading a book by Johnny Erickson Tata during that week trip in El Salvador, and, and I was reading it more to minister to me about Courtney and, and just the challenging season we were in with her medically. And this book was all about suffering. And um, one thing Johnny says is, you know, we're so quick to ask God why he allows suffering, and yet we need to get our fingers out of God's face and ask ourselves, why do you allow suffering? And so she really just goes on to say, for the body of Christ, we need to care and do the things Jesus would do and care the way He cares. And the Holy Spirit really used that to show me Jesus would not come to El Salvador, see this little boy who's basically dying a slow death and miserable, and do nothing for him. And so I remember coming home from El Salvador and saying to my husband, I think we need to do something for Kevin, and, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. And at first we talked about possibly a medical visa, and then we realized that's not possible. You have to have a curable, treatable condition that, you know, he could have went back to El Salvador and, and lived a good life. Well, this is a chronically ill child, so that wasn't possible. So then we talked adoption, which absolutely terrified us, um, but I'm so thankful. Family Life, they have an adoption Bible study that we purchased mm-hmm. and, and did together as a couple, and um, I love one of the things they did was they suggested making a list of pros and cons, because they were very big on, this could destroy your marriage if you both don't want this. And so our list of cons was probably four times times longer than our list of pros, just being honest. Um, but, but the truth was, I mean, we had every, you know, objection you could think of from, Lord, how do you push two kids in wheelchairs? We live in a two-bedroom apartment. We don't even have a room for this kid. Um, we don't have $40,000. We're just working to get out of debt. Um, but probably our biggest objection to God was, Lord, we were just content with Courtney. And we really were. I mean, we, we didn't want, you know, to have a child together. We were just like, we're good. And so the fact that we knew God was probably calling us to adopt this little boy, I mean, it was, it was a huge decision. But yet, as we studied Scripture through that Bible study, you know, and the Scriptures we're all familiar with, you know, James one twenty seven and, you know, Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of these you're doing to me. I mean, Scriptures like that, where you hear God's heart for the poor and the oppressed and the orphan. And um, 
my husband just said, none of these reasons, as good as they are to justify to probably some of the most spiritual people we know, none of these reasons are good enough to someday give to Jesus. And it was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do it. <laughs> and you did. And you did. We and did. Kevin is a we part did. of your life now. All right. I, I, in the interest of time here, I, I want to ask you, because we only have a couple minutes left, and, and I know you have a heart to help other parents of special needs children through what you have learned. So talk about that for just a moment, Christine. And, and I know people can get in touch with you through your website, which we'll, we'll lead them to at the end of the program. But talk about your, your desire to help other parents. Sure. Yeah, I think um, having a special needs child can be a very isolating journey, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. It could be just as isolating, um, even for Christians. And so my heart is to just uh, share my story, and I've been able to do that in Christian settings with special needs parents. I've been able to do that in the medical community, um, where I'm encountering mostly non-Christians. But really, it is a journey where, you know, I think everyone's deep down desire as a parent is you want to know God's with you. He cares that there's purpose in why, you know, your child has these needs. And so I really just love affirming that. I love affirming what I've seen God do and how I know that there's this um, great eternal perspective that we can have that will get us through the day-to-day. And then on the other side of it, um, I think there is a side of advocacy that these children need that most people really can't even understand that these, you know, that parents go through on a daily basis, whether it's in the medical world or the special education world. And so really, I try to bring to light how spiritual even those aspects are, being a voice. You know, God's entrusted us, um, entrusted these children to us. There are talents, I say. And so how can we serve these kids faithfully as though we're serving Jesus? And so I'm just that reminder that you know, building relationships in the medical world. God's put you in the hospital in the special education setting for a reason, and just being intentional with our relationships, realizing that it's even so much more than just our kids, because we can become so focused on just our kids and their needs. And, And I really think those are the things that really keep parents, you know, thriving and full of life and finding joy and purpose when they realize, okay, God, this isn't a mistake. I'm on this path. And so that's my heart's desire is to just encourage um, parents who are doing this journey, folks that are working with kids in the special education setting, in the special needs ministry setting, um, in the medical community. Um, wherever God opens doors, I, I feel like I can kind of take my story, my experiences, and tailor them to whoever um, my audience is. But probably my greatest joy comes from being with special needs parents and really just sharing what God has taught us over these 14 years um, and how to just do it with joy and love and purpose and freedom in Christ. And I love being able to encourage parents to live intentional lives, knowing that this is exactly where God wants them and He's equipping them for these very purposes and using these kids and using their lives, their disabilities, their challenges for His good and for His glory. That's my desire. Well, as you've learned today, Christine Boyle is a wife and the mother of two special needs children. She understands how the power of God is revealed in her story, and she has a speaking ministry of encouraging other families with children requiring special care. It's called Glory Revealed Ministries. You can learn more about it by following the links at firstpersoninterview.com. The story you've heard today is one of many we tell each week. Sometimes you'll recognize the names of our guests and sometimes you won't. Jesus said of the kingdom in Luke 13 that some who seem least important now will be the greatest then and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. And we have some great examples of these stories on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. 
To find them, click on the banner for FEBC, the Far East Broadcasting Company. You'll learn more about FEBC's work around the world, reaching the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Wayne Shepherd, And now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I invite you to join us next week for First Person. 